Would you like to turn to Exodus chapter 2? And we're going to continue uh, from where um, we w- we've been each week, really, as we're working through um, the book of Exodus. And I'm going to read from Exodus chapter 2, and I'm going to read from uh, verses 15 to 22. And um, you might like to also just have your finger in Acts 7, uh, where I'm just going to, I'm going to make reference to quite a few verses today, so... Uh, don't worry about that, but my main passage is Exodus 2, uh, 15 down to 22. Here we are then. When Pharaoh heard this, which is, uh, I'm sure you know the background to that, that um, Moses had uh, walked out of the palace and started to take things into his own hands and uh, made a mess of it, actually, but we'll talk about that as we go on. When Pharaoh heard of this, he turned... He tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flocks. And when the girls returned to rule their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Rule asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to to come and have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with them, and he gave his daughter, uh, sorry, Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. And Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And if you uh, just look into Acts 7, 17... It says... As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of people in Egypt had greatly increased. And then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our ancestors by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. And we looked at that last time. So, this is the story that is actually, as it were, overshadowed by a promise that God made to Abraham. God had made this promise to Abraham, which was, I'm going to multiply you, and the number of your descendants will be more than the the, the grains of sand on the seashore. And yet, here we are with this nation in slavery, All the work that Joseph has done is forgotten by the king and the people are under huge pressure and awful slavery. And yet, as we read in Acts 7.17, 
he had these words, At, as the time drew near for God to fulfill his promises to Abraham, the number of God's people in Egypt had greatly increased. What I want you to see is, as we look through this story, there's an overshadowing of God's promises. We've sang about it today. It's exciting, even when we look at our nation and we look at the things that are going on and, uh, and we say, how can this nation change? No, the promises of God are still yes and amen. Recently, I was walking and um, uh, uh, just praying. I go out on the, uh, the grounds of the park and just calling out to God. And uh, I was suddenly struck me, that promise that's given in the Old Testament, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. And it suddenly struck me, Lord, I hadn't thought about it. That promise is still on the table. The promises of God are almost, they're put on the table and nobody can take them off. They're there because God has placed them there. And they're there for the taking. They're there for the accepting. They're there for the receiving. And this is the as it were, the overshadowing of this story that we see. Moses had walked out of the palace. I suppose in walking out of the palace, what he'd also done, um, he'd actually refused the lifetime, the lifestyle that he'd been given under Pharaoh. See, what we often forget is this, that when Moses was picked out of that basket and actually given back to his mother, to look after. He was in the home of his mother and father once again. Yes, he was supposed to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter, but they didn't waste any time. Every day, as they lived as Jewish people, they would have told this little boy, there's a reason why we do these things. There's a reason why we've got hope. Yes, we're under bondage. Yes, we're under slavery. But actually, there's a hope burning in our hearts. And they would have placed it into Moses' heart. And he would have seen the way it affected his, his parents. That they weren't full of despair, but they were full of hope, even though life was very, very hard for them. It's very interesting that it says that we read, it says, and when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. Uh, if you were to look into Hebrews 11.27, I did say I would be looking at quite a few uh, verses today. Hebrews 11.27, it shows us how actually this is being seen from God's point of view. And it says this, Speaking of Moses, I'll read from verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. And it then tells us, it says, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's an anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. 
And the New Testament is trying to tell us, yes, if you look at it, you see him making a mess of it as he tried to sort things out and his own strength. After all, he'd, uh, he'd led armies by this time. Um, if you read the history of Josephus, he refers to um, the way that uh, Moses had led uh, you know, battalions to overcome other armies. He's in his 40s now. And yet, that work of God that was put into him by his mother and father is still in his heart, burning away. And the New Testament tells us, it was by faith that he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. I want to ask you this morning, do you live your life? Do I live my life? You know, I ask questions. I, I'm always asking questions of myself. I just pass them on to you, hoping that you might ask them too. Am I living my life seeing him who is invisible? When I face difficulties, when I face trials, when things don't work out the way I want them to, am I nevertheless, through it all, seeing him who is invisible? Because the Bible tells me he's watching over me. The Bible tells me that he intercedes for me on a daily basis and for you. And for us, and for his church, of which we are a part. And so this is what gripped Moses. And it says he had faith in that. The natural fear of Pharaoh was overridden by his trust and fear of God. And do you remember last time I preached, I made reference to Billy Graham. How once in a, in a plane that was looking in danger of crashing... Natural fear came upon him, and yet he had to turn his, his face Godward and remember God's promises and remember who was actually ultimately in charge of his life. Natural fear wants to grip us, but we have to turn it round and say, but I see one who is invisible. And so that is the background to this story. And uh, Moses has, I don't know, run, I don't know quite how far it is from where he was in Egypt to Midian, a few hundred miles I think it is, I'm not quite sure. But anyway, at the end of that running, that walking, it says he sat down by a well. Just any old well. No, no, no. Actually, this well is a well that is a God well. It's a place where he ought to be. And he sits there. And if you look at your Bibles, it says, he sat down by the well. And then verse 16 says, now a priest of Midian had... To, oh, by the way, I want to tell you about the Midianites. The Midianites, if you... I, I, don't, I don't suggest that you look it up now, but if you were to look into Genesis 25, verse 1, you'll find that Moses had another wife, um, uh, his second wife, Kentura, and she had a son who was called Midian. And so actually, he's running, but he's sitting by this well in a, in a land of people who are sort of semi-nomadic. Um, semi and yet he's in a very place again where they, the story of Abraham is known. He's, he's, as it were, running from one into suddenly the history, the history of Abraham and the promises of Abraham. That's what that thing with the Bible is. It ties everything together. We think it's all just happening. But no, there's a history. It's God's story. That's what history is. His story. Have you got his story in your heart? Are you aware that you belong to him? 
that you, you can remember the day you maybe gave your life to God, but he, he, he knew you before you were actually born in your mother's womb. It's what the Bible says. If you're not a Christian here this morning, he sees you, he knows you, and he's not looking as some people view God, like an angry old man with a white beard, with a stick waiting to belt the living daylights out of us. Actually, the Bible says that he is full of love for his people, and he longs to draw you and to, and to speak to you and to pour his love upon you. That's the God that we've been worshipping this morning. And so he sits down by this well. And suddenly, there's this wonderful gaggle of young women coming. Seven of them. They're coming to water their father's flock and uh, also get their jars of water filled for themselves. And it says here in the Bible, it says, um, now some shepherds came along and drove them away. I guess these guys were Midianites who, you know, time's money. Right, let's get on with getting the flock done. And when it says they drove them away, I think all they had to do was go, shoo, 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 to all the sheep. And suddenly all the girls go, oh, no. The sheep going here, the sheep going there. So that they can get on with the business of watering their flock. And do you notice what it says in the Bible? It says... Um, Moses is seated by the well. And then it, it's almost like a, a long time. It says, he got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. See, the first time he thought he'd try and get sort things out, he was very quick. Here's, uh, you know, an Egyptian beating, uh, you know, an Israelite and right this looks left and right and deals with the situation. And then there's two Hebrews arguing, and I'd sort the situation out. Actually, he's learning. I, I, I'm going to talk about delay today. We don't like delay, do we? We do not like delay. We want things to happen when we want them to happen. And here, we're heading for Moses to face another 40 years, if I've understood my New Testament right, of delay. And yet there's a purpose in the delay. We can never see purpose in delay. Delay, why, why, should, why should I want to have delay? God is working his purposes out as day proceeds today. Do you believe that? Yeah, we believe it now. But when the delay comes, we don't. I mean, you know, when you're, at, you're late for the, a meeting, you're in your car, and there's somebody, I don't know what they're doing, they're fiddling around, but they block the road. How are you with delay then? I mean, come on, just be honest for a minute. You're like me. Why don't they get out of the way? What's the matter with a blizzard idiot? Yeah, I... Oh, you're much more polite than that, of course. We don't like delay. We don't like it at all. And yet this time he stands up and he takes charge of the situation. And it says he waters the flock and fills the jars. And the girls are very delighted. I don't know whether those other shepherds just despised them because they were women, or whether it was that they just wanted to get on with life. But actually, Moses has found he's got something. Actually, what he's finding is that pastoral heart that God wants 
him to use when he's going to lead the people through the Red Sea and on is growing in him. That shepherd heart is beginning to grow on him. Actually, there's going to be another 40 years of growing as a shepherd because God is preparing him for something in the future. That's often the thing we miss when we see delay. How does this with the future? All I can see is delay. Maybe it's time to say, God, what are you doing in this delay? What are you doing when I can't buy this house? When I, when I, I can't seem to, to make friends with anybody? What, what are you doing? It's always good to ask him. I don't think we ask him enough the things that we should ask him. And so the shepherd's character is beginning to grow in uh, Moses. And so the girls go home, and I just, I have to smile. As I, as I read this, I, I, I'm, I'm smiling. In fact, if you could look at my Bible, you'd see I've got all sorts of things written in the margin. I'll tell you what some of them are, because, uh, you know, they get home, and, and what, what is the first thing the father says? He says, you're home early today. Which means that Probably they had trouble with these shepherds on a regular basis. Or maybe it just means there are seven lovely girls who take their time when they're watering their flocks. <laughs> you know, Cara and I were in, on a holiday at Mr. and Mrs. Juno's in France uh, um, many years ago. And uh, we, I think our oldest daughter, Kate, was about 12 or 13 then. So the youngest one was about four or five. And uh, they said, oh, we're gonna, we'll, we'll do the washing up, Dad. So um, in the distance, we could see where the washing up place was, away from our tent. And it was sort of in the open. And so I said, oh, that's great. And off they went with their, their tea towels and uh, all the you know, cups and the saucers and all that. And um, I remember, you know, Carol said, where are the girls? I said, they're, and as I looked across, I was going to say, they're washing up. But actually, life had much more purpose than just washing up. They had tea towels in their hand, and on the horizon, I can see these four girls, and they are dancing the tea towel dance. In fact, I have it written in my, in my, in my Bible here. According to these seven girls, I say, tea towel dance, enjoyment on the way. So these seven girls, who, who knows how long they usually took when they're watering. I mean... They giggled, they laughed. I, I, I'm so delighted I've got four daughters. They've taught me such fun. I remember when they came back with the washing up done. And you know, that nursery rhyme, or what was it, something about the dish ran away with the spoon. I mean, we didn't quite sort of work out whether they still had all the stuff they'd gone to wash, but they'd had fun. And the, this is a human life story. These girls. So dad says, you're home early today. And they say, well, this Egyptian, this Egyptian man, and it says in the Bible, he came and rescued us. I don't know whether you know, but if you look in your New Testament, which I won't ask you to do at this moment, but in the book of John, when Jesus was talking with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they're saying, we've got Moses as the, our you know, the one we look to. And he said, he said, if you look to Moses and listen to what he'd said, realize that what he said was pointing to me. 
this Moses is one who spoke of the coming Messiah. And so in this story, we find that the, it looks like it's just a commonplace fun thing happening here. But actually, something is happening of God. And so he says, what does he say? He says, well, where is he, this saviour? Well, go and get him. Invite him to come and eat with us. Now, they all set off to invite him. Can you imagine seven girls, all unmarried, and suddenly, dad is saying, go and find this Egyptian and bring him round for a meal. I mean, it's a different way round, isn't it? Usually, usually, I remember Carol inviting, or saying, you have to go in the front room, and dad will come and speak to you, when I wanted to ask her if she'd marry him, if I could marry her. I remember one of my, uh, one of my now sons-in-law, uh, I used to re reply, uh, I used to mend his car from time to time. And one day, Nick rings me up and says, oh, hello, Norman, could I come and see you? I said, you got trouble with your car again? He said, no, something I want to talk to you about. I thought, I know what this is. <laughs> so I took him into the dining room. And he flapped around for about five minutes. And I said, what is it you want to ask me, Nick? He said, oh, he said, he said, I've fallen in love with your daughter and I want to marry her. I said, that's great. He said, you'd be happy? <laughs> I said, yes. Because I'd already noticed that something had been going on between them. We'd been to a great big uh, um, meeting in Wembley, uh, Wembley Football Ground, before it was refurbished for a great big praying for the nation thing. I don't know if any of you were there. There are 30,000 there. And we'd have taken a coach from Seven Oaks to, to pray with all these people for a whole day for our nation. And when we got back in the coach, I remember saying to Corrie, that was great, wasn't it? She said, oh, it was wonderful, Dad. And I thought, well, I know it was good, but I didn't realize it was that good. <laughs> but she'd met this young man that she'd been standing next to. Oh, I tell you, the day in prayer was wonderful. And this is the same man asking me, listen, he says, go and get this man and bring him in. Can you imagine how they giggled? How, who's going to ask him? Is it you or me? And so anyway, he gets invited in. Listen, this is a human story, but this is God working out his purposes as day proceeds to day. And he's invited in. And it doesn't tell us very much in the scriptures. It says, inviting Moses agreed, verse 21, to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. And then it quickly tells us Zipporah gave birth to a son and named him Gershom. He also had another son, which we don't have the name of here. And he said, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. Do you think God works out his purposes just in the ordinary, everyday like that? Or do we have to have this flashbang wallop Often we're looking for this flashbang wallop, and yet God is working out his purposes in his way, according to his timing, according to his love. The Bible tells us that actually Moses stayed as a shepherd for his father-in-law. By the way, I don't know whether you noticed, there's two different names used for him here, but um, uh, that's quite normal for a priest to have two different names. It's the same person. 
He then worked for 40 years, bringing up his children, looking after sheep, waiting for that day when God would say, Moses, come aside, and there will be, as somebody will preach on later on, a burning bush where he's spoken to by God. But he had to let God work things out in God's way and in God's time. Where is this saviour? Listen, Jesus said, he speaks of me. This is the same saviour who is the good shepherd. The Bible says of Jesus, or Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and I call them by name. Listen, God, if you don't know Jesus, he wants to call you by name today. He wants you to know that actually he knows your name and he loves you and he wants to draw you in. If you already know Jesus, what this story is saying is, will you submit to God's discipline? Will you submit to God's way? Will you submit to God's sovereignty? Listen, I can say that because I say it every time I'm talking on these passages about the sovereignty of God, but I'm not sure that we really take it in. The sovereignty of God means he does things his way, in his time, with his purpose. And my trouble is, I want to do things my way, in my time, in my purpose. But his ways are better than my ways. That's what it says in Isaiah. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Will you receive that? Can we let this story so grip us that we've received that truth and say, I want to submit myself to your sovereign will in everything. In fact, we need to be praying that prayer. Not my will, but thine be done. Can we pray that? Could you turn with me to Psalm 40? Psalm 40. Just a, a few verses in Psalm 40 that I want to look at as I finish because it brings into sharp focus all that we are seeing in this story. In Psalm 40, we have David, King David, who, like Moses, took things, uh, messed things up even though he knew the love of God. But this is his testimony written down for us in Psalm 40. This is how he entered into the sovereignty of God. This is how he allowed the sovereign will of God to rule and reign in his life. Let me read it to you. This is what he says. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me... <coughs> Out of the slimy pit, <clears throat> out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on a rock. He gave me a firm place to stand, and he put a new song in my mouth, which was a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see, see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord 
and does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. That is an amazing psalm. I, I read it regularly. For this is my testimony, that God heard my cry when I was in dire straits and I didn't realize that my sin was holding me far from God. When he revealed to me that actually by my own efforts, it was like I was standing in slimy mud, unable to set myself free. And then he gave me a firm place to stand. I think that's what this story that we've read about Moses is. That sitting by the well was almost the first firm place that he could be in where he started to hear God and see God moving. Have you been wandering backwards and forwards, unsure about the future, frustrated about things, whether they would work out the way you want them to work? Listen, you need a firm place to stand. You need a place where you can say, God, I want to make time where I'm going to hear you in the midst of all this turmoil. I want you to speak to me and I want to be receptive and I want to let you have your way in me. Listen, the whole Bible is full of people who have had to do this. It's not something new for us. I could name people like Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Job, loads of them who had to fall in line with God's sovereign way. But it's not easy. But he wants to do it because he has a future and a purpose for you. What area of delay are you facing today that is so frustrating you and making you feel so uneasy? Will you let him change you in the process? I believe as Moses sat by that, that well, the changing process started in his life. He started walked into that shepherd job that God had for him. He started to not throw his weight around, but become a man of compassion, a man who was looking for God's way in it. And the first step was to rescue those girls. And the next step was to find God and provided a wife for him. And that actually, there were still years to come when he was going to have to sit, like David did, with his sheep, protecting the sheep, caring for the sheep, listening to God's voice. And he became the man who eventually liberated the whole of the Hebrews from the Egyptian nation and brought them into the promised land. What purpose has God got for this church that requires patience? There's plenty of things, even now we're, we're praying about possibility of a building. Listen, it has to be in God's time. It has to be in God's way. He's teaching us purpose. He's teaching us patience. He's teaching us to be those who listen to him. But keep praying. Keep praying, Brian. So I know you often do about this thing. But keep praying. But make room for the sovereignty of God. Can I ask you, if you're here today, does this describe you with your feet in a slimy pit? 
out of the mud and the mire you need to come and a longing to have God set your feet on a rock, on a point where you can say, at this point I know I have met with God and now I can move forward. He wants to do it for you. He did it for me. He's done it for many who are in this room today. But we have to submit to his sovereign will. We have to submit to his assessment of our lives. In a book I've been reading about um, Moses, Terry Virgo uh, just writes this. He says, On planet Earth, where mankind, like you and me, have been barred from knowing God, east of Eden, excluded from the tree of life, and condemned to death, there was a special nation in the process of being brought, not only out of Egypt, but out of death to God itself. That's what this is all about. We're not living in Egypt, but if we don't know God, then we're actually in death to God. We don't know him. We're cut off from him because of our sin. And as Terry says, this story is how God brought a nation. Can I ask you, is it a story of how God will bring you out of death to God and into life with him? What you need to do is to respond to him and let his assessment come on your life and then let him show you the way that you can grow to become more like him. I'm going to give an appeal this morning. I try to do this each time because I'm so grateful that when I once sat like you do in a meeting, not knowing God, but wanting to know God, trying to find out who God was by my own methods, a man gave an appeal. That means to say he gave an opportunity for people like me to make a response to God freely, without pressure, but a response where he said, if you want to know this God, then I want to give you the opportunity to just respond by standing. And as you do that, I'm going to invite you to pray and ask God to put to your account the life and forgiveness that he gained for you when he died on the cross in your place. And I remember thinking, that's what I want more than anything else. For I long to know this God. And I've tried to change, but I can't change myself. And there weren't any flashbangs and, you know, fireworks that morning. But God did a work in my heart that changed me. And so I would like to invite you. Let me read it again. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on a rock and gave me a, fir a firm place to stand and put a new song in my mouth. If that's you, in a moment I'd like you to just stand out where you are. I'll tell you exactly what I'm going to do. When you stand, I'm then going to let everybody uh, just wait for a moment and then I invite everybody to stand with you so that you'll be hidden. I don't want to make a spectacle of you, but I want then to just pray a prayer asking Jesus to come upon you 
and to change your life. And I offer you this opportunity as I was offered this opportunity. It's an opportunity that is the most wonderful opportunity we ever receive. So if that's you, I'm going to ask you in a moment to stand. But maybe as well, there are those of us who you struggled over timing. You've struggled over the whole point of um, God's sovereignty. You've frustrated by delays. Maybe you've tried to do things your own way. And just something as I've been talking today has made you feel I'd like to respond to that. Then I'm going to ask you as well in a moment to stand. And I'd just like to pray over you that from this moment on, you would make room for his will in that particular area. See, we can have given our lives to God, but we can take other areas back again and try and do it our own way. We're subject to that. We want to be our own boss, but God says, no, I didn't just want you to come to me at the beginning. I want you to come to me in the middle and the end. I want you to be with me all times. And sometimes it takes a, quite a difficult thing to say, I submit to your will, Lord, in this matter. Maybe it's waiting for a husband. Maybe it's waiting for a wife. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a house. Maybe whatever. Just to submit it to him and say, this day is the day I submitted that situation to him. So I'm going to ask you, in a moment, if you would stand as well. So just to be clear, if you'd like to respond, just to say I want to make a first step to asking Jesus into my life and to asking him to give me a firm place to stand, then can I invite you to join me in standing now, please? Well done. Thank you. I'm going to ask everybody, would you please stand? And if you've stood, I'm just going to pray, first of all, a prayer of asking Jesus to be the Lord of your life. And then I'd like, you, I'd like us all to pray that together, because it means that just not one person's voice is heard, but all voices together. Would you all pray as I pray? And can I invite those of you who stood just to pray out? And then later on after that, I'm going to pray particularly about this thing of frustration, and we'll pray for that as well. So can I just pray? And if you've stood just there about wanting to, uh, God to give you a firm place to stand, then would you pray this outside? Could all of you please pray it with me? Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you now. I want to acknowledge your lordship and ask you to forgive me for my sin. I ask you now to give me a firm place to stand where you are the Lord of my life. And I submit my will to you now and ask you to be the Lord of of my life. Thank you, Lord, for giving your Son on my behalf. I now ask you to put what he has gained for me 
upon my life now. The forgiveness that comes through repentance. Would you just acknowledge your need of him now in that area? Just come, Lord, I pray. Thank you for the, the courage of those that have stood. Will you do a new work in their lives now? Pray you'd mark this day in their lives. Being given a firm place to stand now where they rely upon you for forgiveness. They rely upon you for the future. Give them that firm place to stand, Lord, that they don't have to slip down into the miry clay anymore. Transfer your forgiveness that you gained on the cross, Lord, for them right into their lives now, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. If, you are, if you're standing as well and you just want to respond to something else that I've said, maybe the frustrations or uh, just the battling with that, this sovereignty, even though you've asked Jesus into your lives, I just want you to put your hands out to God now. And I just want to pray for the Holy Spirit to be upon you and for what he said to you to be sort of cemented into your life today. Holy Spirit, you see right into our lives. You see what we're thinking now. You know what we're responding to. Lord, I pray now that you would now fill us with your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to acknowledge our frustration before you, but to receive your peace. The peace, the Bible says, passes all understanding. Come now, Holy Spirit. Lord, that frustration of waiting, Lord, we now submit it to you and say we believe you have a plan and you will work it out in your own time. Would you now agree with God on that? Would you now, if, you, if, you, if you're agreeing with that, would you, just take, and, and would you just take a step forward as I do? And just take a step and say, Lord, I want you to see my step. But I'm praying that you would now cement that into my life now. In Jesus' name. If that's you, would you please take a step forward, a small step. Just in front of God. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I can't do what only you can do. Only you can now follow up with each one of these people. Only you know the depths of their hearts and what they're thinking. But I pray that, Lord, you'd light your light in their lives in such a way that they feel illuminated by the Holy Spirit and free from the frustration and free from the care of trying to manage their own lives. Will you come now, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. going to pray and then we're going to end our service. We thank you Lord for your goodness. We thank you Lord for speaking to us today. We thank you Lord for the opportunity to respond and for those who've been able to respond. Lord we choose now to step out into this week in your presence. We say holy God would you move with us. Would you move through us for your glory. Amen. <laughs>